We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're re-watching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of GORP on May 1st, 1980. It was written by Jeffrey Convitz, based on a story by Jeffrey Convitz and A. Martin Zweibach, directed by Joseph Rubin, and released by American International Pictures. GORP killed American International Pictures. Yes. This is their last film. Although, we will be covering two more American International Pictures, The Visitor and How to Beat the High Cost of Living, which had later release dates in the U.S. But this was the nail in the coffin. I am not surprised. Alfred Hitchcock passed away the day before yesterday, April 29th, 1980. This does not portend well. GORP is an acronym for good old raisins and peanuts. It what? plays no part in the film yeah, at all. Really? I, I don't get it. What does that mean? I don't know. It's also technically Go Rap. <laughs> I think Go Rap is an even weirder name for this movie. I don't know why this movie's called Gorp. No one even eats Gorp in this movie. There's not even like one shot of a person eating Gorp. Like it makes less sense than when Eli Roth wanted to call Cabin Fever like country hams because it says that on a sign at the right at the store. <laughs> it's like why why is this called Gorp? I don't understand. Anyway. Is, is that a thing? Is that like a camp thing or something? Never heard of it. I mean, I know it's a thing that, that runners eat because I mean, it's is a high-energy meal. Is that what meal. they call... Is that, what they, is, that, is that like, you know, when people say trail mix? Do they say yeah. gorp? Do people say that? They might. No one says it in this movie. I've, I mean, I've just never heard of it before. Yeah. I only know it because of the IMDb trivia page. Um, but yeah. So that's what this movie's called. That's all the production notes I have, other than like a little tidbit <laughs> later. There's not much to be found about this movie. There's not I, much about anything in this movie. Yeah, I even found a book about American International Pictures, and the whole thing was just like a very glowing review of the movie and about how brilliant it was. And I was <laughs> of just this like, movie? Yes. I'm pretty sure it was Ugh. just written by someone who was involved in the making of the film, because it was dumb. Mr. Gorp. Yeah, Mr. Gorp did it. This, Mr. I mean, Gorp, tear down this wall. <laughs> this movie was incredibly difficult to get through. Mr. Gorp, tear down this film. A van full of kids pulls up to an old cabin on a lake. The guys pile into the place. Mad Bobby Grossman runs past some of them and moons them from the top of the stairs. This is Dennis Quaid uh, as like a half-assed Jim Carrey character. I, I guess, but also like very inconsistent. Like he he reminds me also of uh, D Day from Animal House. Uh, a little bit of D Day and uh, Tackleberry from uh, Police Academy. Okay, yeah, it seems like he's trying to play like the bad crazy guy mm-hmm. and everything, but the, the character feels very disjointed from scene to scene. It doesn't feel like Dennis Quaid is completely committing to the character, which I think is part of the problem. It's that he seems like hesitant with all the weird stuff that he does. But I don't know that it would be better if he were fully committing to this. Right. Um, and we're getting him later in the, the Brothers Western, right? Yes. And Randy. Uh, it's just like, he's so strange in this. Yeah. And it's only a couple years later that he'll be in like the right stuff in inner space. Yeah. 
it's not it's not a good good move from him i feel like the quaid people are keeping this movie <laughs> out of the public eye um but they're not doing a very good job keeping Randy out of the public eye. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's just the Dennis Quaid people. They, they used all their energy to wipe this movie off of the face of the earth, and then they don't have they anything left. They had nothing left. left to keep Randy secret. <laughs> um, Steinberg takes a bathroom stall basically as his bunk, where he remains for almost the entire rest of the film. Uh, he never actually says a word. Um that's, he's just some random nerdy character in a bathroom. He sort stall. of says. Something. Yeah, he has like. He doesn't actually say the words though. It's sounds yeah. that are dubbed over his mouth. Yes, they're not coming out of him. Grossman has a very large gun and a bomb by his bed that he's constantly working on, um, with no payoff. No payoff at all. So, this is dumb. For some reason, this movie is about two guys. Like, the main character is two different guys. Right. Who, who look almost the, as the same anyways. They so. look practically the same. They say all the same things, do all the same dumb stuff for the whole movie. It might as well have just been one character. Because it's supposed to be that they have, like, a rivalry going. But they're, they're not so, different. They're so friendly to each other yeah. about the rivalry. And they often go in on the rivalry at the same time together. Yeah. Like, we're going to do this together right now. Yeah. But their names are Bergman and Cavell. I'm just going to call them the guys. Yeah, that's fine. For most of this movie. They approach a locker that is shaking in the bottom floor of their cabin. Ugh. And they open it to find Caparello masturbating or having a seizure. They don't like stop to check and see if he's dying I, in there. I did, I did not. I, I was guessing what was happening. Yeah. But then I was like, all right. I think that maybe the director had never masturbated before. And so he's just like... <laughs> I don't know what it looks like when people are masturbating. Can you just shake? And he's like, that's not what it looks like. He's like, just shake. Okay, I'm the director. But yeah, he's masturbating in this locker. Lobster is like the Eddie Deason character. And Fats is the fat kid. Who, I might just call Eddie Deason and and the fat kid for the rest well, of the Well, I was going to say, uh, uh, what's his name? Stephen First from Animal House. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's basically just Eddie Deason and Stephen First again. Um, except for Eddie Deason here is like, a ginger is the only difference but mm-hmm. other than that he's exactly an eddie decent character and they are sent on a mission to go take pictures of the girls arriving at camp um fats breaks his camera immediately but somehow lobster gets perfect photographs of everything. yeah uh, fetterman introduces uh the boys to the kitchen fetterman is like their boss he's like the um the brian doyle murray and caddyshack mm-hmm. character that's like second in command at this camp and uh, he introduces them to these kitchen people who, like, these these guys all worked as waiters last summer. So they know the kitchen staff already because they worked with them last summer. But they play it off like this is the first time they're meeting. And uh, in rapid succession, we are introduced to Fred the chef, this big black guy that just doesn't talk to anybody. Just and, slamming the meat cleaver down. Yeah, he's like, looks like he's a maniac. And then suddenly, as soon as, like, Fetterman's gone, they're, like, all laughing with each other like they're all best friends. We have Andy on salads, who we basically never see again. A guy who's just sneezing into salad. And Indian Joe, who we never see again after this scene. Well, we, we see him, but they don't have any... They play no part in the yeah, film. Yeah, we do see him sneezing multiple times into yeah. the salad throughout the film. Yeah. Um, we have Sweet Mo, who is the uh, chef's assistant. That's Otis Day coming back uh, for a second film in a row. And Mike the Pimp is the name of one of the characters. And he's apparently in charge of drying, like 
someone else does the washing and then he literally just dries the dishes mm-hmm. after they're washed and uh, he doesn't play a part after this and then we have wino willie on beverages Who's, who is bathing in a sink here. yeah he's like scrubbing his feet in a full sink of water with like a, he's got like a toilet scrubber that he's yeah. using to scrub his feet and, it, and he will be like the most prominent of the kitchen staff he reminds me of like a character that booger would play now yeah but he would play it better <laughs> he would no absolutely yeah why not armstrong is, yeah and then i saved the worst for last <sighs> bible louie who quote unquote handles the freezer so i don't know what that means like he puts things in it and takes things out of it mm-hmm. seems like there's a real fucking easy kitchen to run if you can have a job that's literally just drying plates or taking things out of a freezer but uh lobster comes in and he hands off the pictures of the girls and they basically just hand them all out and everybody calls dibs on the girls from the pictures cavell and bergman fight over the only 12 out of 10 super hot attractive girl i guess uh she kind of looks like all the other girls in all of these pictures and uh bible louie comes out and pretends that he's preaching for a while before cursing a bunch which he will do nine more times over the course of this movie walrus wallman tells fetterman what his plan is that these are all crappy waiters and uh, they'll at least get the job done but he's going to find them every time they screw up and he'll find them so much that he'll never have to pay any of them so he's basically getting free work out of these people and he's promising fetterman 10 percent of all the fines that uh, he's able to collect from them which basically means that he's paying fetterman instead of the waiters and he's only paying him 10 percent of what he'd have to pay a full wait staff Bible Louie pretends to preach again and then sucks on a naked picture of a girl after shouting, And the Lord said, Because the joke is that he's religious, but he says Buzza? perverted things. That's the joke every time? Anyway. I don't know. Anyway, I'm not that... sure what any of the jokes are in this movie. It is rough. It's The problem is that it's trying so hard. Every single scene, the the characters are trying extremely hard. But are they trying hard? Because literally every scene is almost identical. Like every scene, every character was getting a a huge workout in every scene. Yeah, but every but every character does the same thing in every scene. That's why it's a workout. Because literally, in almost every scene in this movie, it is just a bunch of dudes running around frantically screaming they're shouting every at the top scene of their like you would just count them in a row they are yelling in the kitchen they're yelling in the dining room they're yelling in their bunks all just running around frantically that's every scene of this movie yeah it seems like they thought that the louder you say a joke the funnier it is and i guarantee you every time they said cut on this movie everyone had to sit on the floor and breathe for like two minutes because they're they're exerting themselves i mean i don't know if they're trying but they're exerting themselves at least in every single scene everybody's running around full speed using their whole body to act with and none of it's funny stuff's falling all over the ground and they have to stumble over things all the time and every single character is in every single shot so they're like oh you three guys pretend his butt's stuck in a toilet you uh pretend Mm -hmm. that you're just smashing your head against that wall that's funny you drop a bunch of bowls on the floor that's funny when people do that and it's none of the things are funny but it just seems like they were trying to crowd the shot so you wouldn't notice that nothing is happening in any of the scenes Mm -hmm. but uh yeah so the next scene tony cavell and bergman go to a restaurant cavell and bergman are hitting on the 12 tony goes and finds Roseanne arquette 
and starts dancing with her and they will go on to have basically a romeo juliet story in the film because he's poor and puerto rican and she is a self-described jewish american princess heir to a deodorant fortune and i did actually think there was one funny moment here where she explains that her family makes deodorant and that they're rich and he immediately just puts his face in her armpit to smell mm-hmm. it and she starts laughing like the two of them feel like the only genuine characters in this whole movie everyone else is like a caricature and trying they're really to be only a... in like two or three scenes yeah but in every scene they're the best part of this whole movie yeah. that they were in but yeah so at a nearby booth one of the bigger guys uses lobster's teeth to open a beer um and then he just holds his mouth and goes ow 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 for like a full 30 seconds which the obvious joke here would be to have like blood pouring out of his mouth or show his teeth broken but yeah. they never do that there's never no. a reveal there's no punchline to it it's literally just yeah that probably would have hurt and we never see an aftermath of it vicky henderson the 12 tells mark and jay or cavell and bergman that she does not fuck but evie bennett fran drescher across the table from her says that she does back at uh, the cabin cavell and bergman are yelling at each other because they both got turned down by the girl and they play dueling records at each other as like revenge through a wall they're playing <laughs> dueling records the logic behind it i don't they, understand the layout of this place where doors open up into other people's beds yeah yeah like how do you even get around yeah it uh, doesn't make any sense one of the record players is just like this aimless like rock guitar solo and the other one is like marching band music like and then eventually that bigger guy from before comes in and just breaks all the records because he's trying to go to sleep Although we will hear both of those records play later in the film over and over and over. Evie, the Fran Drescher character, approaches Cavell and Bergman separately for sex. Um, not really sex, just sort of grinding, fully clothed yeah. on the on the shore of the lake. Well, I think the implication they're implying is sex. that it goes all the right. way. Right, but they just keep showing us the same dumb thing of them rolling around on dirt and they're adding fly sound effects yeah, to mosquito, it to make... mosquito sound effects like they're like swatting at bugs it just sounds like they're rolling around in shit like <laughs> that's what it sounds like when it you does. put flies in there it's like is this literally a pile of manure that they're fucking in because otherwise what is the point of this but she does she just says the same thing to both of them like as she's finishing like like oh yeah no i just wanted to have sex with a legend and they're like oh was i a legend oh you were a minor epic and mm-hmm. then she says the same thing to the next guy like playing them off of each other because she just enjoys having sex but the two of them both think like oh i tricked this girl into having sex with me yeah but they don't know that she had sex with both of them yet but also i'm still struggling at this point to tell these two apart right and so the fact that this scene just just happened identically twice i'm like did we just (laughs) i I don't know where i'm at (laughs) i i thought that like it skipped yeah and i was like is this the same scene and i just watching it again is like oh no it's slightly different yeah but not enough different to have me care yeah cabell and bergman go into the room where everyone's sleeping in the middle of the night on the on the top floor of the cabin and they drop like a a barbell it barely makes a sound but somehow everyone sits up like they fired a gun which would have been much funnier if they just walked in and fired a gun which they have yeah they have lots of guns and the and the Dennis Quaid character is with them, and we've established that he has weapons galore. Like, he should have just thrown a bomb in the middle of the room. But instead, they drop a fairly silent piece of exercise equipment. They introduce what I think is supposed to be the point of the movie. I don't know. 
it, they say that there's a contest. Right. They never get much more specific than that it's a contest between the upstairs and the downstairs waiters. Right. And they get a trophy if they win. Yeah. yeah. They're calling it a war. And the yeah. trophy is supposed is like... It a, looks like walrus. It's the bust of the guy that runs the camp. Right. right. And which they, just, they call walrus. Yeah. Wallman, walrus. And... But they never say what the contest is. They just say it's a war. Right. Like, what is winning? What, what, what is, yeah, how do what you is win? Losing? Because when you say the word war, what I think is that means like physical combat. And they say the rule is there are no rules except for no physical contact. Mm-hmm. It's like, what are we doing? Is this like tantric lovemaking contest? <laughs> what are, I don't understand what the contest is. They never get more specific than it's a contest between us and them. It's like, are you trying to rack up more tips? Are you trying to get, you know, find more? Are you trying to, like, hurt people? Like, they never explain what this contest is for the whole rest of the movie. And we never see it. We never see well, we, what this contest is. Well, we see it, is. but we don't know who wins we, or why. I, I never saw it. I don't know if you saw it. I didn't see it. I saw it. I watched this movie twice now, and I never saw the contest. I don't know what the contest was. Well, it, they were just doing crappy things to each other. But how do you win that? I don't know. We don't know what the rules are. Oh, wait. There are no rules. There's no rules except for you can't. There can be no physical contact. There's no way and, to win because there are no rules. But the only competing that we see them doing is just physically fighting with each other, yeah. which is a violation of the only rule. So I don't know what the contest is or how you determine a winner. It's a battle, but there's no physical contact. So I have no idea what that means. The kids all get together and they watch I Was a Teenage Werewolf. Which is the best footage in the whole film. It's the best shot sequence. <laughs> <Yeah>. It is. <laughs> Mostly because uh, Walworth gets gets freaked out. Yeah. Because, ah! <laughs> yeah, he gets freaked out when the girl is going to get attacked by the werewolf. But um, but you're saying that the, the, the movie within the movie is the best footage in oh, the whole yes. film. The black oh, okay. and white footage yeah. of the werewolf is so the, the most convincing that, cinematography. That they didn't shoot was the best yes. shot stuff. There's, there's some other good shots later. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> really good shot later. <laughs> Grossman dresses like a werewolf and wakes everybody up at night. That's hilarious because he hired a makeup artist to come and do a whole werewolf makeup on him so he could look like the character in the movie when no one would even be able to see it because the lights never come on. Yep. They would just assume it's fucking Grossman howling for no reason in the middle of the night. Which Um, he would probably be prone to do. Right. But he does it enough that he scares Cavell into jumping out of a window and breaking his leg. So now there's a very slight temporary and uninteresting difference between Cavell and Bergman. <laughs> One of them is on crutches for a couple scenes. Plays no part in any of those scenes that he's on crutches now. I don't know if the actor hurt himself on set and they wrote this scene to explain it. Mm. Grossman rides a fucking horse around the cabin to rile up the troops of the downstairs area for the contest that's coming right. up. That Some kind of a contest. That we still haven't gotten into and won't. Suddenly, a kitchen Olympics is happening, and the wino is drinking four bottles of liquor. It's the kind of Olympics where there's only one person participating, and it's all sped up. But and I feel bad for this and it's actor because pouring all over him. Yeah, he's well, he's not drinking most of it, but this guy, you can tell just based on continuity from his shirt that he actually drank all four of these bottles in a row, but they. Instead of showing him drink a bottle and then cutting away to a reaction shot and letting him recover to drink from the next bottle, like they they let it run on him drinking all four bottles, but then they cut in all this reaction footage that it's like it's no longer impressive that 
he drank four bottles because you were cutting away the whole time. So yeah. you could have been giving him time off, but he's clearly not getting time off because he's pouring more than half of each bottle down his chest. And I don't even know what these bottles are because they're all different colors. Right. But, um, but yeah, that happens for some reason, and uh, then it's over. They sneak into the girls' cabin in one scene and, like, threaten them. Yeah. And... Uh, this is like one of the first like of many raids they call it now i I get like the the panty raid yeah of the you know but it's, but that's a heist situation you're yeah. sneaking in and you're taking something yeah you're, you're not, not threatening like, anybody. you're not threatening and like physically trying to like it's also not acceptable but yeah. the point is that it's more acceptable than what's going on here but at, at least tony is just going in and saying hey judy you want to leave with me and she's like yeah let's go and just make out somewhere the rest of the guys basically scare all these girls into waking up in the middle of the night they they basically were just in there to rape the 12 yeah again and one of the many attempted rapes in this yeah. movie this yeah. is the first attempted rape in this comedy about attempted rape maybe that's what it is it's a comedy about attempted rape and the contest is whoever can rape the most people that's the hilarious contest between the upstairs and downstairs um but yeah so this is happening um, uh, walrus but, gets mad and finds them and they're all we're gonna get back at that guy for finding us for breaking the rules by going into the cabin of the girls and threatening them it's like yeah i'm on walrus's side yeah yeah that's the problem and I, it's not just because like i'm an old man now like yeah. i feel like i still like even at the time i would have been like no like that's a huge liability and you should all be fired yeah and and he even says i invited you to back against my better judgment it's just like 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 I thought, are they are they on friendly terms? Yeah. Like like you know they wanted to come back and he was he was considering it and they talked him into it. It's like, what is the relationship here? But then they clearly don't like him because then they fill his his house up with farm animals. Yeah, but yeah, that's the other thing is when so when they wake up all the girls like Grossman is literally saying like I'm going to murder all of you. Yeah. So everyone shut up and don't say anything about what happened here. They laugh about it on their way out, but then yeah, the next day they get fined, which is a pretty light punishment for what they did. Right. And and we'll come to we'll come to understand how they get fined because he said the the girls didn't tell them. Right. So there there is a a semi plot reveal later of of how they keep getting in trouble for all these things. Yeah, it's the big twist ending. Yeah. <laughs> it's marvelous. But um yeah, they let a bunch of animals into Walrus's room in the night as their revenge on him. And why and is him- his wife there? I do they mean, live on the camp? I guess they do, but it just felt like this was trying to be that scene in Animal House where they put the the horse in his in the dean's office or yeah. whatever. But it's not funny. Um, there's also a lot of like animal torture yeah, stuff in this movie. Yeah, there's a scene where in the kitchen, I don't know which scene it is, but a guy is like the wrestling a chicken, and mm. it's, it's obviously an actual live chicken, and he is not treating this chicken well. Yeah, he's just yanking it around by a wing. Yeah, that's that's basically the next scene. I put they they put animals in his room. Wino abuses a live chicken. So <laughs> those are those two story points are right in a row. Hilarious religious guy says, "Let there be orgies," which is a callback to earlier when he said, "Let there be bosoms." Mm-hmm. It's not but, even a different but, joke. Like, but also, what is he referring to? There are no orgies in this film. Yeah, and also, so he says, "Let there be orgies." into the camera directly into the camera and then he turns and runs away and the hilarious reveal is that he's completely naked yeah and then a disembodied voice says who was that masked man but he wasn't wearing a mask he wasn't wearing anything so 
they should have pointed the camera at the masked man so we could help that voice find out who it was. But instead we're looking at Bible Louie be weird. Grossman tries to spy on the other team and they keep blowing a trumpet at the wall wherever he's listening to them. Mm-hmm. He's literally got like a stethoscope to the wall yeah. to listen to their plan for the contest. What are they going to do for the contest? They never explain what the contest is. I wanted it to be like flower arrangement at the end. <laughs> but no, we never find out. Uh, the wino fights with himself in like the corner of a room. Like he's pretending to play cards against himself. Yeah, during the big poker game where they invite Lobster and the Stephen First character. I didn't even want to take notes on the poker game because I don't know why it's happening. Yeah. They oh, keep oh, cutting back to poker being played. I, I stopped taking notes. I, I have unfortunately committed much of the movie to memory oh gosh <laughs> and and as this was, I was like, so angry that i memorized the movie <laughs> yeah it's like you made me pay money for this movie patrick uh uh but uh this is six dollars to rent on amazon prime by the way don't do it don't bother <laughs> if you only get this far into the podcast i want you to know these are this is a three down movie we we wasted 12 whole dollars on this yes. because we rented it and I'm going to have to times. rent it again because I kind of want to see it again. No, no that's not going to happen. No. I got all the sound clips I need before our 48-hour rental window ran out. We're done. <laughs> We're done ever thinking about this movie uh, have, as have soon we, as I hit stuff on this record. Have we, have we touched on the challenge that Evie gives the guys? Not yet. Both the guys have to sleep with one person? But she only has to sleep with one other person. Well, and it's they dumb. have to pick who it is. Yeah, it started as they were saying we could get any girl we wanted because she says I could have any guy I wanted. And then it turns into you. I'll make you have sex with someone who you don't want to have sex with. Yeah. So they're like, okay, well you have to have sex with the rabbi and the rabbi's like, not that much older than them. Decent looking guy. Really kind of depressed. Yeah. And then she's like, okay, you guys have to have sex with, with Bertha, the nurse, big, big nurse, Bertha. And they're like, oh, God, I don't know why we entered this contest. And it's like, yeah, I don't know why I rented this movie. Like, <laughs> yeah. We're both very disappointed right I guess, now. I guess we better drug her and rape her. Yeah. <gasps> I know. This, so, ugh. yeah. First, first though, we get the Fran scene. So she goes, the Fran scene. <laughs> uh, she flirts with the rabbi. And, uh, and it seems like she's making some romantic progress. The guys break into Nurse Bertha's room and put a bunch of drugs in the water next to her nightstand. And then when she drinks it, they just climb on top of her and try to fuck her in her sleep. Yep. Which is the second and third attempted rape in this movie. Yeah, but I, I was like, and their and their their plan is you start at the top, I'll start at the bottom, we'll meet in the we'll middle. Meet in what the does middle. That what does that mean? <laughs> Our meats are gonna touch in the middle. <laughs> it's very very gross and weird. And what? It, what it, he's starting at the top. He's gonna rape her in the face. Like it's not even happening? weird enough that this is happening. That they're just climbing all over this woman in this bed. But there's two other guys at the window just watching it. Yeah. Just rape watching. And then she wakes up and first she resists and then I guess she's kind of into it. But then they're all fighting instead of yeah. Instead of having sex. The guys go to meet with Irvington who is this like preppy coach guy that they have at their restaurant all the time that they're, that they're waiters for. And uh, he keeps telling them that they're going to have some game they're going to play against each other. And he wants to turn the whole camp into like an athletic camp. Mm-hmm. And he's going to get them jobs there, basically. So he's telling them updates about how his uh, conversations with Walrus have gone and how he's going to, he's right on the edge of convincing him to turn this whole camp into an athletic camp. This is not an interesting 
subplot or anything. No. It doesn't pay off at all. Well, it's sort of. It's sort of. Sort it's, of. I wouldn't call it a payoff, but no. it's it's re, there's a reveal. But that we have no vested interest in this becoming an athletic camp. We don't even like the two characters who we're supposed to identify with. Um, we hate them actually. <laughs> um, they are attempted rapists and probably successful rapists prior to this summer. Yeah, as opposed to Fran Drescher, who's she didn't rape anybody. Everybody, she was. It was all consenting. He was fully side. willing. Yeah. Their their pickup line is plunk. That's their pickup line. Their their first move is to drug the girl every time, and uh, it's obnoxious, and it's bad writing also. That's the really offensive part. <laughs> the bad writing, but Sharp finds them at the bar. Sharp is like their boss uh, of the cabin, and he's like, "Okay, well, it's after curfew, and you guys are drinking here at a bar. Uh, this is not okay. So everybody has to go home." Walrus finds out that they were at the bar. And hits them with a second harsher fine. And they're like, oh, well, that means we just have to piss him off even more. Mm. And guess what's coming up? Parents' Day. So the parents show up. Judy's parents get out of the car to talk to Rosanna Arquette. Apparently they already know about her new Puerto Rican boyfriend. Yeah. She's already talked to them about it. And she's like, oh, he's really great. I think you'll like him. And her mom just says, darling, he's a veritable monkey. And he's a poor monkey at that. Yeah. Just immediately, like, first thing out of her mouth when she gets out of the car. And he's standing right there. Yeah. And so he walks up and he, like, leans into his accent because he's trying to piss off her parents. And he's like, oh, yeah, the way she talks about you, I thought you were going to be a big, fat mess, but you're very pretty. And uh, and He's throwing her under the bus in this situation. Yeah. He should have said, I pictured you to be this big, fat But also, like, why would you picture her that way unless you're throwing her under the bus anyway? He should have just walked up and been like, you're ugly. <laughs> but uh, he doesn't do that. Um, the parents all sit down to a film. <laughs> and uh, What a wonderful film. Yes. Uh, it turns out that... The second uh, best piece of footage yeah, captured the, in this the movie. The second best footage here. Uh, I don't know what this is from. Because IMDb actually listed <laughs> the I Was a Teenage Werewolf. <laughs> I want that film title. <laughs> yeah. I need to know what this movie is because <laughs> they, there's so many strings that they leave. <laughs> For, for research <laughs> i need to i can't just uh i can't sit on this cliffhanger but uh but yeah it's porn but uh what they, they end up watching and, the and joke is of... great because you see it coming a mile away and they don't turn it off <laughs> that's how long this dick is no but i like it's like oh this is the wrong film this is the wrong films it's like then turn it off. Yeah, instead of instead of getting the way or like unplugging yeah. the machine, it's just like this isn't what we normally watch. Anyway, you know what? Have been a, a funny seat. joke. If the rabbi would have stepped in front of the the projector to try to block it, but then the boobs would have been on his shirt. Oh like, my god, that'd have been great. That would have been a joke. Oh man, this that, movie could have been. This so movie funny. could have had one joke in it. Yeah. All right, are we <laughs> fucking pitching a remake of Gorp? Right no, now? <laughs> no, we're happening? not. It's not happening. Um, the kitchen staff drugs everyone. They give speed to everyone. Yeah. They intended to only give it to some people, but they accidentally gave it to other people. <laughs> I don't care. I don't yeah. care who they give the drugs to. Everyone that's been acting like they were on speed the whole time already. So it changes nothing that everyone's on drugs now. Like, I feel so sorry for the actors where, when the director was like, okay, do what you've been doing before, but pretend you're on speed now. And it's mm-hmm. like, are you kidding? I almost had a heart attack just acting like I was just standing there meeting a person. Now I have to act even crazier. It's not interesting, and a food fight breaks out. Yeah, and, and they just throw and food. One, and once again, milk in the hair. Ugh, just like little darlings. It's like no, no, not in the hair. I don't like this. 
<laughs> Richard had a traumatic milk hair experience yeah, I, when he I, was a kid. Uh, <laughs> milk, I like milk, but I the like milk on my person. Milk, like how milk on my person. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sounds weird. Don't get milk on my person. <laughs> Grossman rallies the troops again. He tells them that the other guys are planning to break all the rules, even though there are no rules. Then we get another pointless poker scene. Suddenly, we're in the cabin at night, and all the guys are masturbating at yep. the same time. Isn't that funny? One guy starts masturbating, and then another guy notices he's masturbating, and that makes him hot, thinking Ugh, about his friend masturbating. Gross. So he starts masturbating. That, that's how guys work. If I'm at the office and it's I like see somebody sneezing. yawn, I <laughs> start yawning. to yawn. Yawning. But if I see someone jerking off, I can't help it. Oh, God. I just got to go Stop out. Stop it. But uh, this is a different kind of masturbation. It's not the typical, you look like you're having a seizure in a locker masturbating. This is some weird, like, humping masturbating. Yeah. Like, you're humping your hand or something. I don't get it. What yeah, I do the... is I shake in a locker. <laughs> um. Well, but what's one of them is uh, the, the, the you know, Quaid characters, like, humping his bomb in his bed? Yeah, probably. <laughs> that sounds like something they would tell him to do at the last second before they started recording. Um, every single joke in this movie feels like they wrote it in the moment. Like yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised to learn that this entire film was like a long form improv. Uh, that is a disservice to improv. Do not say that. <laughs> That's what it felt like. It just felt like every single joke was being made up on the spot because none of them pay off, and there's it doesn't go anywhere. That's the difference. Is that long form comedy, long form improv pays off. There's like long running punchlines. But uh, nothing here is funny. The guys find Grossman with a truck full of munitions. And he gets real, like, Dylan Claybold here. Yeah. He's like, I'm telling you, boys, this is going to be a very memorable war. There's going to be blood on the buildings. And he's just, like, straight up, like, I'm going to murder all the other people in our cabin. Uh, That's what the contest is. It's a literal war. The guys go to meet with Irvington again and find out that he... Not Sharp has been reporting them. So every time Walrus got mad, it wasn't because Sharp, who we don't care about and yep. is barely in the movie. I think I, I, think I remember him one them. time. Yeah. Uh, but this other character who we don't care about has been reporting. This is mind-blowing to them. But they forgive him instantly. But it, it's what gets him into Walrus's good graces in order to change the camp over to an athletics camp. Right. Which is apparently actually happening. But the scene where he he tells them this is so weird where he's jumping up on the bed yeah like the scene starts with him he's already like standing up on the top of a couch and he's holding a big bottle of wine he says yeah he's gonna make it an athletic camp and they're like oh okay that's good And he's like yeah it's gonna be great like the whole scene he's screaming like every scene is screaming off every scene this is the worst of it though this is like the most obnoxious like the most I don't understand why they're all shouting like this. And they're pretending to be very excited. Like, I feel like they must have done this scene a hundred times before they got to this take. Because it felt like, no, 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 more energy, more energy. The scene is really boring unless you're screaming. But he just keeps screaming about it. And then they, they kind of decide, the guys decide, okay, well, this guy's the one who told on us. He's he's the reason we got fined. And it's like, well, no, Walrus is still the reason you got fined because he's the one who fined you. And even further back, you're the reason you got fined because you broke the rules constantly and yeah. cost the camp money. But instead, they decide that they're going to take out their revenge on Irvington. So as revenge, they rig this massive track that no one can see until it goes off. Yeah. They hook him 
in the middle of the restaurant while they're serving people and it lifts him off of the bench above everyone eating their food swings him across the room toward a banner with a painting of a butt on it Mm -hmm. and then confetti shoots everywhere and he seems very upset about it but i'm sure that after this shot they would have just let him down yeah and that would have been their revenge i guess i guess we lifted you for a second take that you find us hundreds of dollars our entire paychecks for the whole summer but we lifted you for a second and there was a painting of a butt and everything isn't that much more embarrassing than what you did to us no it's not it's dumb nerd and fat use neighboring toilets mm-hmm. uh fat doesn't know how to use toilet paper that's the joke here i think yeah because the toilet paper <laughs> just keeps coming out he he pulls the toilet paper roll and he just keeps pulling it off and acting panicked like he doesn't know how to control his arms I don't know what the joke is here. Well, the he toilet just, paper is just shooting out. Like, yeah. he's not he's even touching it. He's pulling it off of the roll. No, he's not. Like, I mean, it's it's shooting out even when he's not touching it. So, I think that's because he yanked on it. Yeah, I think that's what they're implying is what he did. And, and But, like, they, do, they definitely have some sort of effect happening here where there's, like, a blower behind it, like, shooting the paper out or something. But he seems really panicked. Like, he's yeah. going to get in trouble for wasting a roll of toilet paper. In this room where people are setting off bombs and stuff and nobody I think cares. somebody had a really great idea to stick a leaf blower behind this thing and create some sort of effect. And they didn't know how to use it, so they just stuck a guy in a stall. They and were said, like, is this funny? No. <laughs> great, put it in the film. Yeah. The guys try to rape number 12 again. Yep. Uh, they, this time they actually get their pants off. Yeah. And uh, the lights come on and they just skip out with stuffed animals over their dicks. Nerd and Fat go back to the bar looking for hookers. They've decided they're going to hire a hooker because their friends are so horny and uh, they keep failing at rape. So they're like, what if we paid someone for you to rape? Um, Like consensual rape. What's it called again? Sex. So they go to the bar and they go to just the first girl they see and they say, hey, are you a hooker? And her date turns around and is like, "What? what did you just say? And then... To punish these two guys for calling his girlfriend a hooker. They get him drunk. They give him a bunch of free drinks. <laughs> and then send him out of the bar in their underwear. Where they find a hooker. They, yeah, they crash headlong into a hooker standing on the corner. And they're like, hey, are you a hooker? You should come back with us. And she's like, okay, great. So they're driving the truck full of bombs back to the camp. And they crash it. And it explodes. Um, all the fireworks in the back are going off and this indicates to everyone in the cabin that the war is on Mm -hmm. that the contest has officially begun they rush to fight each other because they they barricade themselves in first right but the it seems to be the point is that they're going to fight each other right but the the only rule of this contest was no physical contact so i don't know what the contest was supposed to be if it wasn't physical contact but they go to fight each other, but right as the two teams are clashing, the girls rush in uh, because they've decided they're going to interrupt the fight and get revenge for the constant attempted rape perpetuated by two characters from this movie. The toy bomb that Dennis Quaid has been fucking this whole time shorts out. And he's like, oh, it doesn't work. It was just a dumb prop. And there's no punchline to it. It never goes off. And then he decides, you know what? This means war. I'm going to go get something. We have this really weird line from Steinberg who runs to go hide in his bathroom stall. And this is what I was talking about where we're dubbing over him now. And there's explosions going off all around him and something whizzes past in front of him. And then he goes, 
fuck? And then he goes back into his bathroom stall. Fran and the big guy get into an argument downstairs. He puts her into a locker. And then he throws the locker out the window. The masturbation locker? The masturbation locker. And then when she gets thrown out the window in the locker, she says... Yeah, that made no sense. It's just like, oh, it's great. No, it's funny because the director understands how women work. Is that they get they? I read somewhere that they get periods. Well, Usually, o- only in when opportune you put, moments like yeah. getting thrown out of a window in a locker in a masturbation locker. Yeah, right. that would definitely bring it on. Uh, Grossman comes back in a tank and he drives it through a wall into the building and almost kills an extra in this scene. Yes. It's very clearly not it, a it, fake tank. It really comes through that wall crazy. Yeah. It's a slow motion shot, and it's clearly a real, a full-size real tank. And I found this on IMDb. I have no way to prove that it's real, but I think that this would be a lot of work to make up a factoid for this obscure of a movie. This is from one of the reviews of Gorp on IMDb. I owned and drove the M5 Stewart tank in the movie GORP, actually written in all capital letters. There were lots of interesting stories that I recall from the filming, but the one that stands out in my mind was when I drove through the house, a prop built for the movie. We were to receive a radio message as when to stop, but it never came. I could see nothing out the vision port, and finally decided to slap on the brakes and stop. Had I continued one more foot, I would have crushed one of the stunt people that was to have jumped out the windows but didn't. So all these characters were supposed to pile out of the windows. They didn't, and the tank almost crushed this woman because of it. Oh my god. Um, He says, Amazingly, the big concern was that I came within inches of one of their very expensive Panavision cameras. The movie people said they could always get another stunt girl, but cameras were expensive. All in all, I was treated great by the movie people, and I left with many good stories. Several best left untold. Wow. So that's pretty incredible. Tried by the way, that guy down. this guy worked on the movie and uh, thinks he was treated well by the movie people and gave it a 5 out of 10 star review. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's... Uh, that's <laughs> the tank goes through the wall. Basically, they just all go to Walrus's cabin and say, hey, guess what? We quit. Yeah. And they moon him from... And, and flash and flash. There's yeah, one, one girl is flashing him as punishment. And and then while another guy is sucking on one of her breasts. Right. So one of her boobs is covered by I her rewound shirt. it and made sure several times. Yeah. No, I literally did because in this whole movie, there's only one pair of boobs and it's in the porn that they're watching. Because when this girl is flashing, her shirt is covering one boob and this guy's sucking on the other boob. So... There's literally no original boob footage in this whole movie. Yeah. There I think the the one the pinup, there's some pinups. Well, when he but, right. li- he licks the piece original. of paper on yeah. the wall. That's that not original. That existed no. before this that was published before <laughs> oh, this okay. film came out. Yeah. I'm talking OC tits. <laughs> there's nothing in this movie. Like if you're going to make this movie and it's going to be this bad, you have to at least put four pairs of boobs in it. It has to at least have four pairs of boobs to warrant ever being rented by anyone. But there's no excuse to rent this movie. So you need three or more boobs. <laughs> three or more boobs. Oh, I thought we were talking pairs. You're just talking individual. No, individual. Boob. That's that's his, his his adjustment to what I was making. That's why Total Recall is automatic. Yeah, that's yeah, a good rental. Solid rental option. Uh, the All Moon Wallman, uh, and then Fetterman walks him back to the 
house and sees that it's destroyed. Yeah, he says, I can't tell you. You have to see it. It's like, just you could just tell me right here. Camp. It also doesn't matter because everyone already left. So yeah. the camp is destroyed. Like, I can't serve anyone any food. I yeah. have to cancel this summer and everyone's leaving. Uh, I can't remember why, but I had turned subtitles on, I think, for a couple of scenes to to, to make sure I could understand exactly what people no, were saying. Helpful, for sure. Um, <laughs> when when uh, uh, Huddleston sees the broken cabin, it just says in, in, in uh, brackets, building screaming. <laughs> and i was like i was like building screaming oh he's building the screen it's like uh like but i was like, I like that. it's building screaming. <laughs> like the person like i'm writing these subtitles but I, I don't tell anybody i'm deaf is this building screaming because it looks like its mouth is open yeah <laughs> i'm just gonna put building screen um this movie sucks yeah uh director joseph rubin also directed Dreamscape, The Good Son, and Money Train. What? <laughs> Some of those are good movies. Yeah. <laughs> D- Dreamscape um, also with Dennis Quaid. Yeah. Uh, writer Jeffrey Convitz. Um, this was his third and last screenplay after Silent Night, Bloody Night, and The Sentinel. Uh, oh, he has Sentinel. produced in a lot of different genres, including a pair of lesser Leslie Nielsen parodies, Spy Hard and 2001 A Space Travesty, both of which are not worthy of renting either the other writer uh a martin zweiback this was his second to last writing credit before grace quigley cavell uh one of the two conjoined lead actors is played by michael lembeck who directed the second and third santa claus movies Mm -hmm. also a crap load of television 24 episodes of friends a bunch of other nbc primetime sitcoms dennis quaid was mad bobby grossman uh, you know him from Day After Tomorrow. Uh, he's also in Frequency, Inner Space, um, and he's the brother of Randy from Foxes, and both will be back for Long he's, Riders. He's the right stuff, and he's, a, he's this a, is the he's real right stuff. Fact. This movie, I, I I like him in Pandorum, even though he was probably really drunk. It seems I don't know Pandorum. Pandorum, no, oh, it's good. Okay, him and Ben Foster. I like Ben Foster, particularly in Flash Forward. Uh, I wonder if that's on Disney Plus. I bet it is. Yeah. I have to look that up. Philip Kasnoff played Bergman. Uh, he played Sinatra in a 92 miniseries called Sinatra. Uh, he also played Nikolai Stanislavski on Oz. And he still works pretty regularly for some reason. Uh, Fran Drescher was Evie. She was obviously the nanny. Right. That uh, was her big thing. She was Eunice in Hotel Transylvania, the... Yeah, the wife of the Frankenstein character. She was really cute in this movie. She's adorable. Like she, yeah. I've I, always liked Fran Drescher. Yeah, she's, I mean she she's known for playing this obnoxious character and kind of over the top look, but like in this movie, she was just adorable. She, I she, honestly feel like she's just like the female Gilbert Gottfried. Like people just use her as a, a voice joke, but she's a very funny person. Like like if you were gonna make Jessica Jones in the early eighties, Fran yeah. Drescher would probably have been. Oh yeah, on she'd my, be great. Um, she was also in Beautician and the Beast with Timothy Dalton. Yeah. Uh, I liked her. She she a very small part in Doctor Detroit with Dan Aykroyd. Oh, okay, I don't know that one. Um, it's not like it's a little bit like a uh, night shift in that uh, a guy ends up being the pimp for all these ladies right. of the evening and has to create. There was a, a lot of pimp comedies in the eighties. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she is one of the one of the ladies. Um, David Huddleston was Walrus Wallman. Obviously, he's the titular Big Lebowski. Um, he was also Olson Johnson in Blazing Saddles. Uh, we had Lou Wagner as Fetterman. 
Uh, he played Savannah Shorty in Baltimore Bullet. He was on Raising Hope with me. Uh, <laughs> he was Lucius in the original Planet of the Apes, uh, Busboy in Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, and Skylar Schultz in Airport. Uh, Julius Harris was Fred the Chef. He plays Teehee in Live and Let Die. Yeah, I, I, I don't... He, the character's called Teehee because he's literally going, <laughs> like laughing the whole time. Uh, but he gets uh, unceremoniously killed very quickly okay. by, uh, by the Roger Moore character. That was Roger Moore's first uh, Bond movie. Uh, he played uh, Boan or Bone in the 76 King Kong. He was Gravedigger in Dark Man. And he played Inspector Daniels in the original Pelham 123. Deborah Richter was Barbara. Um, I don't remember which character was Barbara. One of the girls. Uh, she was also Candy in Midnight Madness. That was one of Leon's two henchmen ladies mm. that were like helping him hand out all the equipment for the beginning of the contest. Speaking of Eddie Deason and Stephen First. Um, Rosanna Arquette was Judy. Uh, she was Jody in Pulp Fiction. Uh, Roberta Glass in Desperately Seeking Susan, Marcy in After Hours, and my favorite role from her was Wendy Balsam in Buffalo 66, where she's like the high school crush of the main character, and so he gives Christina Ricci that name, and then they actually see her at a diner later that night, and she's like, oh, that's crazy, that's my name. Like, <laughs> doesn't know that she's literally named after that person. Uh, Dale Robinette was Irvington. He is a stills photographer, and he works pretty regularly. He has like eight huge movies every year, but some of the bigger ones, La La Land, The Avengers, Donnie Darko. So um, he's all over the place. Otis Day was Sweet Mo. Uh, we said before he changed his name to the character he played in Animal House. And we just had him six days ago in our previous film, Where the Buffalo Roam. So he was credited here as Dwayne Jesse. Correct. In both movies. Yeah. But his name is now Otis Day on IMDb. Uh, Peter Mark Jacobson played Steinberg. He was Fran Drescher's husband at the time. Hmm. Um, and he was a writer on The Nanny. He was also a writer on Happily Divorced, a show that Fran started hosting 14 years after they divorced. <laughs> uh, John Riley played Don Sharp. Uh, not a lot of credits I recognize, but he's the voice of Hawkeye and Clint Barton, who are obviously the same character, on the Iron Man animated series in the it, 90s. In the 90s, yeah. Um, uh, did you mention Robert Trevor? Uh, I, no, I, I, I couldn't remember if you had. Nope. Uh, oh, he played the rabbi. Um, oh, okay. I know him mostly from uh, reoccurring characters on Hercules and Xena. Oh, okay. From the, the, the 90s. He played Salmonius. Uh, so I was always excited when I saw him. He's also in a really bizarre movie with uh, Roy Scheider called 52 Pickup. Uh, and he was in Hail Caesar pretty recently. Oh, okay. Uh, he was the producer of the movie. Hail oh, Caesar. I think I did mm-hmm. see that credit, yeah. Um. He he's he's a pretty funny, interesting guy because he's got a his voice is very much that voice. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, Hercules and Xena was my big go-to. It's good stuff. Um, Jess, up or down? Big down, as down as it can go. Richard, that's a uh, way down there, down in the boiler room. Down below, six feet under the ground below. Yeah, there's a down, down for me. Richard, why don't you kick off the? Oh, uh, this box. is well below the window's threshold. Um, oh God, I'm struggling of how far down to put it. It's down there. Um, it might be my third worst, but so it comes just before Serial, uh, and uh, after Private Eyes. Is that above Serial or below Serial? So what? it's above Serial. Above Serial. Okay. 
than hmm. below private eyes. Correct. Jess. So this is second from last for me, I think. Okay. Above the, nothing personal? Above nothing personal. Same here. Yeah. Yeah. It's rough, man. Which I just want to point this out. This was the nail in the coffin for American International Pictures. Mm-hmm. Of my bottom four movies, three of them are American International films. <laughs> Which is crazy because the fourth film uh, that we've covered so far of the four is Mad Max, which is in fifth place for me. <laughs> so I have one at the very top and three in my bottom four with Defiance, Nothing Personal, and Gorp, which are all garbage movies that they clearly didn't care when they were making. Uh, but Baltimore Bullet's also in my bottom four. So that doesn't speak a lot for uh, for the actor who played Savannah Shorty in Baltimore Bullet and Fetterman here because he's in two of my bottom three movies. But they're bad. They're bad movies. And they deserve to feel bad for being bad. <laughs> I think that's everything for this one. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Or as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. <laughs> Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through Patreon.com slash Vintage Video Podcast. On that note, I'd like to give a special shout out to Mike Lamb for his recent iTunes review. Thanks for listening, Mike. We appreciate your comments. Because this is our first episode of the month, again, I wanted to remind our listeners about the Patreon campaign for anyone who hasn't had time to check it out. We have a couple tiers. Vintage Video will always be free to listen to, but if it's worth it to you, a donation as small as a buck a month is greatly appreciated. We are into May now. We've been doing the show for four months, and this is our 38th episode. We are averaging close to 10 titles a month and expect to cover about 14 a month on average over the course of the year, which means that for the buck a month tier, you're donating seven or eight cents an episode. We also offer a $5 tier, about 36 cents per film, which includes a shout out on the show, a monthly exclusive episode reviewing a title from the 70s, and a hand in choosing each month's film. We've recorded five so far, and for June, our second tier members are choosing between five titles, Two Mules for Sister Sarah, a Don Siegel Western starring Clint Eastwood and Shirley MacLaine, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, Russ Meyer's non-sequel satirical melodrama written by Roger Ebert. Kelly's Heroes, a war-slash-heist film starring Eastwood, Savalas, Rickles, and Donald Sutherland, and Carol O'Connor. Catch-22, the star-studded black comedy adaptation of Joseph Heller's anti-war novel. And Myra Breckenridge, a comedy adaptation of Gore Vidal's novel of the same name, starring Raquel Welch, Mae West, and John Huston, considered by many the worst film ever made each of which will be celebrating their 50th anniversaries this June. If this sounds like something you'd be interested in, you can find our campaign at patreon.com slash vintagevideopodcast, and if not, I hope you'll at least do us the honor of continuing to listen. Thanks again, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Friday the 13th, which according to IMDb, is about a group of camp counselors stalked and murdered by an unknown assailant while trying to reopen a summer camp where, years before, it was the site of a child's drowning and a grisly double murder. We leave you now with the trailer for Friday the 13th. Hello? Who's that? Oh, hi. What are you doing out in this mess? One.
Friday, the 13th. <laughs> 